These weeks of fall, we've been in the Elijah, and we'll be going into the Elisha narratives. Um, this been in chapter 19 a couple weeks now. We come to the end. And please join me in verse 15, and we'll go to the end of this chapter. This is God's Word. And the Lord said to him, Elijah, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shephat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yoke of the oxen and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is God's word in the calling of Elisha. I've not introduced myself to you yet. My name is Derek Lamb. And when I do that, I have to spell my first name because there's different spellings. It's D-E-R-E-K. And then you hear my last name, and I always say Lamb. L-A-M, just like the animal, but no B. It's just three letters. Um, my family name has, was L-A-H-M, and then got Americanized to L-A-M-B, and then a couple generations ago, the B got lopped off, and it's just three letters. It's really great when you're in kindergarten, and you just have a three-letter last name, trying to spell your name. My last name is actually part of an idiom, or slang, being on the lamb. Do you know what that means? To be on the lamb means to be a fugitive from the law. I am on the lamb is my initials here. Elijah is on the lamb. He is a fugitive here in Israel being pursued by Queen Jezebel. The beginning of this chapter Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Previous chapter is on Mount Carmel. Elijah had confronted the prophets of Baals who numbered in the hundreds. They could not get their God to answer by fire, but with a quick one-minute prayer, the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, Yahweh, answered and consumed the sacrifice. Jezebel was told this, and how Elijah had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. 
Elijah was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Now please remember, in this point in Israel's history, we're now two kingdoms. From David and Solomon, it's now divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Ahab and Jezebel were the monarchs in the northern kingdom of Israel. And Elijah is now on the run, on the lamb, to the south. But where did he go to? Beersheba. There is a phrase, if you will look in your concordance, and it occurs several times in the Bible, from Dan to Beersheba. And it's a phrase to to encapsulate all the settled areas of the tribes of Israel. So for example, in Judges 20, then all the people of Israel came out from Dan, which is a northern city, to Beersheba, kind of the southernmost city. 1 Samuel 3, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. To where did Elijah run from the murderous evil queen Jezebel? To Beersheba. He was a prophet to the monarchs in the north, but he's now running all the way to Beersheba. And not only that, he stops, drops his servant off, and goes another day into the wilderness. He ran from Carmel to Beersheba about 120 miles. He was exhausted. How many marathons is that? Consecutive. He ran to the southern edge of Israel and then went another day's distance into the wilderness. He ran to the edge of God's kingdom there on earth at the time, of God's people, and he prays for God to take his life. He's discouraged, he's depressed. He's exhausted. He's exasperated. The victory out Mount Carmel was spectacular. But it did not bring lasting revival to the land. The people acknowledged the Lord God as as the, the God, but it didn't change the spiritual climate of the day. And so evil Queen Jezebel set out to pursue him. Tell me which prayer of Elijah's didn't get answered. God answered all of Elijah's prayers. It's not going to rain. All right, I'm going to go into three and three and a half years of hiding, and the Lord answered this. And then he prayed, then he prayed on Carmel, and the Lord answered that prayer. And he came with fire. Then he prayed again, and the, the drought ended. God answered all of Elijah's prayers, but it still didn't go as he thought it would go. And so he prays for God to take his life. You, we can, he, he's still praying though. Elijah knows we cannot outrun God's presence. Psalm 139, where are you going to go where God is not? But he thought he could maybe outrun God's call. If I go far enough away, I'll get away from my call. You can run all the way to Beersheba. You can go all the way to the edge of what you know is good and true. We can 
despair in life, and doubt in faith. And his life not going as we expected, even though the Lord is answering prayers. Are we running from God's call and God's commands? I would note quickly too, isn't it curious that Elijah stood up to Ahab but didn't stand up to Jezebel? He'll stand up before Ahab in chapter 17 and declare a drought upon the land. Three and a half years later, he'll appear and appear before Ahab and face to face says, you're the troubler of Israel. He'll go up on the mountain and, and set the terms of the contest and give them all the advantages confronting Ahab. Yet after this terrific victory, he flees from Jezebel. And I think that's, we can be so bold and, and certain of the Lord's power against certain evils, but there sometimes comes evils that we will flee from. Ahab did great evil in the sight of the Lord. And Jezebel uniquely embodied evil. And there's foreign women like Rahab and Ruth who come into Israel. Well, your God is going to be my God. And they, they come in and surrender and submit themselves to Yahweh. These are foreign women that we see as faith examples through the Old Testament. But Jezebel comes in and just puts Yahweh to the side and brings all her foreign gods with her. Baal and Asherah. She comes domineering and deceptive. She comes bringing idolatry and immorality. Witchcraft of that day, sexual debauchery, this radical feminism, the silencing of the prophetic voice as she was killing the Lord's prophets. And that Jezebel spirit is there in Revelation, in a letter spoken to one of the churches there, and it's here in our day. This is this domineering, going to control it, and going to force this idolatry and immorality. And so I just feel fleeting, fleeting are the days of, of classical liberalism in our day. Just, just a classical liberalism, just a respecting of individuals, of individual rights and responsibilities, and coming is now more of a, a, dom, a progressivism that it's going to now, by power and justice, it's going to be group-based, and, and now morality is going to be group-think. And it, it may seem like wisdom, it may seem like fairness and equity, but it's a, there's a totalitarianism coming, and it's already here, of controlling thought, and censoring expression, canceling dissenters. And in the face of such evil, we could be tempted just to go along to get along, like the people of Israel or to run, like Elijah. First Kings 19, Elijah has lost faith for the present and hope for the future. The evil was too great in that day. Elijah's just, that present day, he's just losing faith, and for the future, he's kind of lost hope. And how does God relate to him? Let me quickly remind you in summary here, how does God take his despairing and de depressed prophet? Does he just cast him aside like I'll try with somebody else. Now he comes and cares for him in his physical needs there underneath that broom tree. He lets him sleep. He sends an angel to be present with him, a ministry of presence, gives him food and touch. His physical needs, he strengthens the prophet. Our God is such a good and loving father who knows our needs. Do you know this love? 
This love of God our Father. And God speaks to his spiritual calling. He calls him, go to Mount Horeb or to Mount Sinai. This is the very mountain that was wrapped in, in clouds and lightning and trumpet blasts when Moses went up there and had Israel camped at the base. Moses went up to this mountain and it just shook as Moses met with God. God had answered with fire just a few weeks prior on Mount Carmel. But here on Mount Horeb at this time, the Lord is not to be found in the spectacular, in the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. This time, he reveals himself to Elijah in a soft, gentle whisper. Elijah has known God in the fire, but he needs to know God in the quietness as well. God is more than fire even though he is a consuming fire. God can move in the extraordinary. Most often he speaks in the ordinary. And so do we know God's voice by his spirit and in his word? I mean, he's, our Lord is a good shepherd. Do, do we know his voice? And God calls this prophet back to his calling. Go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Head back north, brother. You're trying to go as far south as you can. Head back into it. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king of Israel, Jehu to be the king of Israel, and Elisha to be the prophet in your place. Hey, and guess what? You're not alone. There's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah has lost faith in this present day. He's lost hope for coming days. And God cares for him and speaks to him. There is great evil in this land, but get up and go. You have the Lord's work to do. You're not alone. There's always a remnant. God is at work. Well, Derek, you asked me what prayer didn't get answered. It was the prayer to like end his life. Just take me, Lord. That prayer gets answered, take my life, but not in that day and not in the way that Elijah prayed it. The taking up of his life unto God is going to be spectacular in coming chapters in a chariot of fire. But for these days, the Lord has more work to do. Elijah is done. Just take, not take my life like we sang, like take my life, I'm done. But the Lord says, I'm not done with you. So we are under our broom trees saying, God, I've had enough. But on the mountain, the Lord tells Elijah, he's got more for him. Arise and go in the strength that God supplies and the word that God gives. God sends Elijah to anoint Hazael, king of Israel, Jehu to be king over, or Hazael to be king over Syria, Jehu to be king over Israel, and to anoint Elijah to be his successor. The question has to be asked a little bit too. He doesn't even do any of that. He anoints none of them. He's going to call Elijah, but you're going to see, we're not going to have any oil here. We're going to have a cloak. The work still gets done, but the question has to be asked is like, even perhaps in his despair and his just worn outness, is there full obedience? But the Lord is working. We'll see these men come onto the scene in coming verses and chapters. 
But quickly, what do we learn about God as we continue on in chapter 19? God is sovereign over history and present in time. He said it again. God is sovereign over history and present in time. He's not thwarted by the workings of evil people such as Ahab and Jezebel and think, oh no, let me readjust my plan. Let me recalibrate. Didn't see that one coming. That's a heresy. Open theism is a heresy. It denies the sovereignty of God. To think that God is just kind of going along with us and as we choose our own adventure, God is reacting to us to get us to his desired end. It's heresy. God knows beginning to end and in mystery to us, comes to us in time so that we volitionally follow him as he calls us we pray to him, and he answers us. Ah, such mystery. But don't make, it a, don't make it some heresy to try to make it work in your head. God is sovereign over all things. And all things, even evil, are working together for his glory and the good of his people. Second point, God knows and calls people to his purposes. At this day, here on Mount Horeb, where is Elisha? He's out plowing his fields. Thank you, Lord. His rains came. I can actually dig up this ground now. He's just, he's just pushing ox. And yet, on a mountain down south, Elijah the prophet's being told, Elisha's going to be your successor. He's just at home doing his chores. But God's got a call on his life. God is going to send the prophet Elijah to him and call him into prophetic ministry. And this is not going to be human invention, or, but it's going to be divine initiative. We do not call ourselves to God. God calls us to him. Look at the scriptures. Abraham's just a wanderer. Come on, man. I'm going to give you a country, and your people are going to be numerous like the stars of the sky. God called Abram. Moses was on the lamb out of Egypt. God called him at a burning bush. You're going to go back and deliver my people from Pharaoh. David was just out in the fields when he got hustled in because none of the brothers were the anointed. And he got anointed to be king of Israel. I can keep going. We'll go. Saul of Tarsus was on the road to persecute the church. But God had a calling on his life and stopped him in his tracks and humbled him, blinded him. God calls us to himself. We don't call ourselves to God. There's response, and we will receive response and hold both intention. But first, it's divine initiative. And this should be very humbling and comforting to us. Elijah's fearful, on the run, depressed under the broom tree, bemoaning on the mountain. He's done, but God was not done with him. God ministered to him in his need, strengthened him for the calling. He lost faith in the present. Have you lost faith in these present days? What about hope for future days? God is at work presently, and he has plans in the coming days. 
Elijah, get back into prophetic ministry. You're not alone. There's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee, and you're going to have someone to help you. This world indeed is full of peril, and in it there are many dark places, but still there is very much that is fair. And though in all lands love is now mingled with grief, love is now growing perhaps the greater. Is our faith weakened by the present evil? And is our hope just waning with future uncertainty? Well, the truth of the scripture is this, that our faith is not in present circumstances, but in God. Our hope is not in the certainty of life, but in God. The good news of the Bible is this, even in this chapter, is that we're not just called to just do better, try harder. Elijah was done. He didn't have anything to give. But God called him, ministered to him. God came to Elijah in his weakness, called him to himself, cared for him in his need, and commissioned him for his work. And he does the same for you. Even if you feel like you're just flat out and I have nothing to give, I just came because that's all I could do today. Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him and was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Under the broom tree on the mountain, Elijah has been given voice to despair and discouragement. God was kind and compassionate. He now calls him to action. And I just appreciate that. He, and he just departed. Like, finally. He just got up and go. He departed. He did what he was told. Now, we do ask the question, you didn't do it exactly the way the Lord commanded, but you got up and going. He traveled back north to Abel Meholah. This is the home of Elisha. If you've got like pictures, Babel atlases in your head, this is along the Jordan River between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, and there's the Jordan River Valley between. It's about halfway in between. In Judges, it was here at Abel Mahola where Gideon had his great victory. And he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Now, I, would, I was telling Danny this before the service. I wouldn't really need to comment on this or make a comment about this a decade or two ago. But do you see how Elijah navigated the countryside? On foot? Without an app? He's been... He ran from Carmel to Beersheba and then into the wilderness and then was told to go to Horeb. He found Horeb and now he's told to go back. He's like traversing like tens of hundreds of miles. Have you ever seen the blank stare of a teenage driver when you tell them to go somewhere? <laughs> You've been driving them around town their entire life. But now they got their license and like, I don't know how to get there. Let me plug it in. We could navigate better if we looked up from our screens more and learned the lay of the land. I'm saying much more there than I just said. We could navigate better if we looked up from our screens more and learned the lay of the land. Oh, but Derek, I'm a hands-free driver. I mean, I got hands-free there. I don't, I don't have to look at my screen. It recognizes my voice and talks to me. We would navigate better if we would just get away from our screens and learn the lay of our land. There's Elisha plowing the ground. 
rains had now watered the land. The, pl- the land can now be plowed. And he's leading a 12, he's leading, he has 12 pair team of oxen. What does it tell us about Elijah? His family's got some means. He's got 12 pair of oxen. He's not just out there with one animal that's beaten into the ground. Just to, he's, got, he's commanding 12 teams. So he's a wealthy man. God, is not a, God does not show partiality. God will call who he wants to call. Poor, the wealthy, any ethnicity, gender. He's going to call who he's going to call. What else do we learn about this 12-pair team of oxen? It would also indicate that Elisha was a bit of a formidable man. I don't want to read too much. But on my honeymoon, I went horseback riding. And that horse rode me, not me, it. <laughs> I couldn't command one horse. And here's this man commanding 24 oxen. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. In 2 Kings 2, Elijah's, Elijah's taken into heaven. And Elijah's, move, Elijah's, Elijah's moving on into Bethel. And he gets harassed by a mob of youth. I mean, think like thugs we see on streets. Just a mob of youth come out of the woods and start harassing him. Go up, you bald man. Go up, you bald man. Hmm. Elisha cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 of the boys. That's in the Bible. (laughs) I like that. Go up, you bald man. Yeah, go ahead. I'm in my 40s losing my hair. Go ahead. Taunt me. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. It's not anointing with oil, but it's still a call to ministry. What does it mean that he cast his cloak upon Elisha? In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon a God, a upon a person to empower that person for utterance and for service. So in the Old Testament, the, old, the Spirit of God would come upon individuals for a particular service or function in a time. Let me give you an example. Numbers 11. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses, took some of the Spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Often, this empowering by the Spirit is described by being clothed with the Spirit. To be possessed by the Spirit. Judges 6, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. 1 Chronicles 12, the Spirit clothed Amasai, who was the chief of the 30 of David's mighty men. The Spirit came and clothed them. So this symbolism here by casting, here's the prophet casting his cloak upon this man. And Elisha, like Elijah, will be clothed with the Spirit of God. In a few weeks when we come to these chapters, when Elijah is taken to heaven, Elisha has picked up the cloak of Elijah and divided the Jordan River. Then the company of prophets knew that the Spirit of Elijah was resting on Elisha. Here's my question. Is being clothed with the Spirit just for a select few? Is 
centuries before Elijah and Elisha were on the scene, Moses prayed, declared this, wished this, desired this. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. That the Lord would put his spirit on them. He knew God's spirit on him and on the elders, but Moses wanted it on all people, all the people. A thousand years later, the prophet Joel would prophesy this, that when God, it would grant Moses' wish, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. On the day of Pentecost, a few weeks after Jesus' resurrection, he's now ascended into heaven, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and all the gathered disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. It looked like tongues of fire resting on them. And Peter stood up before the apostles and the gathered crowd and said, drunk like you think. They're filled with the Spirit, and this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. In the church, God's Spirit is not the province of the few, but is poured out on all. And so, Father, as we see Elisha get cloaked up by Elisha, realize where we are in redemptive history. The clothing of God's Spirit is the guarantee that we will one day be clothed with the resurrection body. Corinthians tells us this. There's a lot of, there's a lot of clothing language through the New Testament. If you see, we, we, we put off the old and we put on the new. We put on Christ. Romans 13, Galatians 3. In the church, God's spirit is not the province of the few, but poured out on all, one person writes, so that all Christians have been given a prophetic function of bearing witness to God in their generation. All Christians have a prophetic function of bearing witness to God in their generation. And so from generation to generation, the cloak has been cast and it was thrown upon you. A Sunday school teacher who taught you, a parent who prayed over you and knelt and prayed and taught, sermon preachers who've been in your life, these are all teachers, these are all cloaks that have been cast upon you. So that disciples are made and the work of God's Spirit continues. I call this the effect, this is called the effectual calling of God, but it's also this enduring commission to go and make more disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So friends, do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit? I'm just a Presbyterian boy who dated a, a Pentecostal girl. And we've been trying to figure this out all the way through. We're almost 25 years of marriage. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Being born again by God's Spirit. Do you know this? Do you know what it's like to be indwelt by God's Spirit? Do you know what it's like to be empowered by the Spirit? To be gifted by the Spirit? To be filled by God's Spirit? Because we have a prophetic call to give witness to God in our generation. Some of you, but it will not be all of us, will be, have this preaching from a pulpit. But all of us are to share the good news of Jesus, to speak the truth of God's word, to share the story of your life and faith. Because this is how, how did you come to faith? How was the cloak cast on you? 
Young people, please hear me. I'm 46. Anything lower. Young people, and I'm praying for these kids over in this, I pray that you would exceed us in faith and faithfulness. I mean, just a common prayer. I'm always praying that. Would you? Derek, you just... I know I've, I've seen mountains of victory. I, first of all, I've been by the brook. I've been by the brook and paycheck by paycheck, just ravens bringing meals. I've been on mountains of victory. I've been under broom trees of despair. I've been on mountain wrestlings with God. I've known God in my days, but I want God to be known beyond my days. And this is where Elijah is. And so young people, I don't know don't just think, I've got the world before me. I don't want you to have the world before you. Just say no to the world and follow Christ and then go into the world to be witnesses to him. Imagine just how this, I mean, Elijah can't even like follow through, like anoint all these people. He just, all right, I'm gonna go, but he didn't go all the way through. It just, there's a warnness here in Elijah. There's still a power that he moves in, but he's just kind of warned for life and we're not to be weary and well-doing. I've kind of felt this in these days. But I'm asking you young people, please, do you hear the call of God on your life? For some of you, it may be vocational ministry. For some of you, it may be missionary work. But for all of us, it's going to be some kind of work in some time of life, in some type of neighborhood, with some kind of neighbors, where you can give witness to God. And you 46 and olders, some of you who've prayed for my generation, and cast the cloak onto the Gen Xers. Us Gen Xers and boomers and older disciples, please let's not grow weary in well-doing. Have you lost faith for the present, older disciples? Are you, you don't have hope for the future. And we want to cuddle up to Elijah under the broom tree. We want to wrestle with, with God on the mountain. Older disciples, it's not our part to master all the tides of the world but to do what is in us for the aid of those years wherein we are set, to uproot the evil in the fields that we know so that those who, lived up, who, those who lived after us may have clean earth to till. Older disciples, it's not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to uproot the evil in the fields that we know so that those who lived after us may have clean earth to till. That's one of my favorite literary characters, Gandalf, Lord of the Rings. Truth continues. <laughs> I already had one earlier if you didn't catch it. So. And Elijah left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I'll follow you. His response was immediate. He ran at the chance to follow Elijah. Here's the man who's like running from his call, and yet here's one who runs toward him. He just wanted to just go say farewell to his family. And when we hear this, we kind of pause, like, hold on, because we remember Jesus' words. Because there were people who did come to Jesus and wanted to follow him. Jesus said to one, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. 
And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So I've heard those words of Christ, and then I hear this in Elisha, and I'm like, hold on, is he, is he hesitating? And so we got to not always look at the surface, but to go to the heart. And these people expressed a desire to follow Jesus, but they were wanting to set the timing and the terms of their discipleship. I'll follow you, just hold on. I'll, I'll get to you. And then when I do, let me, it's got to be look like this. And in discipleship, friends, um, Francis Havergale, the, the writer of that term, her favorite term for Christ was master. When we follow, he gets to set the timing and the terms because he's Lord. He just calls us to repent of our sin and believe the good news and follow him. And so if you called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, upon Christ alone, do you know that this world doesn't satisfy, that we are sinful before a holy God, and we can't do enough, get right enough on our own? We need to be saved. And so Christ himself died in our place for our sins. And do you call upon his name for salvation? Have you answered the call to follow him? I don't know, I'm just, I'm not good enough. If I, I need to get my life a little bit in better order to do this. I'm not ready. I want to experience a little bit more before I go after Christ. What will you experience more that will be more than Christ? What, how are you going to get yourself together? That's why he came to save us. Because we're not. To follow Jesus means a looking forward, straight ahead in the work of God's kingdom. Elijah was wanting to run at the chance to follow Elijah, but he asked to say farewell to his family. Elijah said, go back again for what have I had to do with, what have I done to do with you? And it's just, a, it's just a weird response. I don't know what to do with this question. Is he skeptical? Is he restrained? Is he kind of, I'm not going to read into that and declare it one way or the other. But what plays out here in verse 21, as he returned from following and took the yoke of oxen, the 24, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh, and threw a party. There was no hesitation in following Elisha. His farewell became a feast. A public demonstration that there's nothing he can just fall back on if this doesn't work out. There's no going back. He used his implements and his tools of everyday work for his earthly provision, these wooden instruments, and even the animals themselves. And he made it an offering to the Lord and a feast for his neighbors a fellowship offering enjoyed by all. And this gruntled prophet is now off of Horeb. You know what it does to the heart to see the zeal of someone who just wants to go after it? I mean, you're still just trying to work through all your stuff, trying to play the tapes of everything that's happened in these past weeks and days, and, and you just see someone who just wants to go serve the Lord. Elijah was done, but God was not done with him. Elijah knew the Lord in his days, and he wanted to know, is there going to be something that happened beyond my days? And something did. A greater, a greater Elijah had come. His coming. The Lord Jesus Christ, and he bids us, follow me. Love me more than this world. Lose your life for my sake. Take up your cross and die to yourself. Do you hear the call of God this day? Are there earthly securities that are delaying our discipleship after Christ? 
or their worldly trust that we want to just kind of be able to fall back on that's going to compromise our devotion to God. It's a great story to hear how she wrote this hymn. This woman who was sold out for Jesus, and she lived it. But it's so hard just to let go of this world and to really trust him wherever he would lead us. The call is going out to all. Do you hear the call? If you're not ready for this kind of commitment, one person says, just stay home with the oxen. Just keep, but it's, it's going to mean kind of sacrificing them as an offering to the Lord. God calls us to follow Jesus. God clothes us with his spirit. To follow Jesus means leaving the love of this world and looking straight ahead to the work of God's kingdom. And I don't know where you are on this journey. Maybe you're coming out from the broom tree, coming off the mountain, and you're just still wrestling with the Lord, and you've got these just emotionally worn out, confused, just, but the Lord has put a step to kind of keep you going forward. Keep going forward. Some of you may just be jumping in on this, and you're like, whoa, I'm going to sell it all, I'm going to do it all, let's go. And we just want to fan the flames of this, especially for all these young people down here. Here, I want faith and faithfulness to exceed. Exceed us, please. I will despair if I keep just my head down on a screen or in this world. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made this my own. But one thing I do Forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Only let us hold true to what we've obtained. Let's pray.